Welcome all to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's show is going to be continuing our NHL trade deadline trade bait series where we're taking a look at a list from ESPN. They have done a really good job of collecting all of the expiring contracts, RFAs, etc. Guys who might be on the block and we're talking about which ones might genuinely be great acquisitions for teams looking to push their squad over the Stanley Cup hump. Right now, though, we're going to be taking a look at the uh, players who might be a little bit forgotten as we've covered centers, wingers, and goalies from the top uh, skaters available. These players might not go for much, but maybe, just maybe, they'll have a chance to shine on one of the biggest stages in hockey. All of this coming right up on tonight's Locked On Jets. You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey friends, welcome to tonight's episode of Locked On Jets. As always, thank you so much for making Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. If you enjoy this episode and want to stay up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news, analysis, and content, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and Odyssey. We'll also be deploying on uh, YouTube in the very near future, so stay tuned for all of the Locked On Jets video content your eyeballs and ears can handle. Now, on tonight's episode, like I mentioned earlier, we are taking a look at some of the more forgotten free agents and players who might be on the move uh, at the trade deadline. Some of these guys, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to talk about when I was looking at the top skaters available for, you know, defenders, forwards, goalies, um, some of the bigger names. Now, we all know that goalies this year, it's a bit of a thin market, but in terms of like forwards and defenders, you actually have a decent amount of choice. And one of the guys that might slip through the cracks a bit, but could be an option for a fourth line, is Zach Sanford. Uh, The last I actually recall of Sanford, I remember him getting traded from the Caps to the Blues. I think he was part of the Oshie deal. But, you know, Sanford was definitely a player I think a lot of Caps fans sort of gravitated towards, in part because he's kind of a taller kid. He's very strong and isn't afraid to get into like a physical situation along the boards. But unfortunately with Zach, I just never really felt like there was a lot of high-end, you know, elite offensive talent. Sanford is just a guy who, for me, sort of fills a roster spot. I, I never really noticed his game in a way that really jumped out to me and made me think that he could be um, a really reliable middle six option. I don't think he's like the worst uh, player out there, especially for a cheap trade rental, but I also wouldn't really be looking to pay more than like maybe like a third or a fourth rounder for him. He's the kind of guy that I think would be maybe part of a larger deal or something if a team needs to add a couple of cheap pieces and they're looking for a really value budget option. I don't think Sanford is actually all that strong defensively, and, you know, he's he's 27, so he's kind of, I would say, past, you know, the stage where you're considering any sort of, like, developmental ceiling. If a team wants a gritty physical guy, I think he could probably play that role, but if you're expecting a lot more, you're probably not going to be super thrilled with the results. Uh, Chris Tierney, also another guy from Ottawa, very similar situation, same age, and ironically, 
very similar stat lines to Zach Sanford. Uh, and, and Tierney, I, I think, is classed in a similar way, or at least thought to be a similar kind of player. Chris and Sanford, I, I both kind of put in the same category of being, by and large, like fourth-line players. I don't think that they offer a lot more than that. But if you're looking for, again, another player who can be a minutes eater and maybe somebody that just occasionally relieves your top six, it's not the worst. I just don't really, again, feel all that great about spending any sort of assets for players in this category. I mean, you do need warm bodies. Um, some contenders might be interested in adding maybe one of the two, just as like maybe a 13th forward or something. But beyond that, yeah, you're probably not expecting a whole lot from either of them. Now, if you're looking for an interesting player that I've actually mentioned on a previous rental episode, I, I kind of want to return to Pavel Zacha because I think Zacha is actually in some ways a little bit underappreciated, but also not really uh, matching what people think he is. You know, the Devils have often deployed him as like one of their primary centers at times, which I, I just think that that's kind of a mistake. You know, Zacha to me is an ideal third or fourth line center. Maybe if you cast him in like a more Adam Lowry role, I think that would make a lot of sense. Ask him to be your two-way defender, not somebody who's providing a lot of elite offensive contributions, but if you give him, I, I don't know, some maybe more defensively minded support on his flanks, he can be a shutdown guy down the middle. I don't know that his defensive work is like elite, elite tier, but Zacha does enough well to where I think he could carve out a role as a really reliable, uh, maybe like a a kind of Lars Eller light. I don't think he has quite the uh, high-end offensive talent that Eller has displayed in his career, but Zacha, you know, he doesn't, I guess you could say he could keep up. Um, and again, I, I just think with him, the technique and skill at times are, are lacking, which I think holds him back from ever really matching up to what expectations were when he was drafted. But if you're looking for a reliable middle six or bottom six player, I think Zacha is actually worth the price. I'm not sure how much you would actually go for, maybe a first or a second rounder or something. And I do think that there is some value in bringing him in, but also you do kind of have to understand that at times, I, I think Zacha has had some like very serious decision-making issues. Uh, you know, and there are moments where simple reads kind of go by him. So yeah, he, he's an NHLer. I just don't know at what level you're really expecting um, to get a lot of value out of him. Uh, you know, ESPN is talking about him as like a 20 goal scorer. Yeah, no, that's not really what he does. I, I think as like a, again, a more defensively oriented two-way center who maybe goes on your third or your fourth line, I think he could handle that and, and probably do that well enough. If you're asking him to play on like your first or second line like the Devils have in previous years, you are going to be uh, in for a bit of a world of hurt. So cast him in the right role and Zacha will give you the value you crave. Coming up in just a little bit, we've got even more under-the-radar players like Zacha, some guys who might be thrown around here and there for a couple of picks, maybe even a fun little prospect if teams are feeling spicy. But before we get to those players, I thought you should hear about BetOnline.net and why they should be your number one choice for all of your online betting needs, especially as we are rolling up on the NHL playoffs, the most exciting part of the NHL season. Football might be over, but BetOnline.net has way more odds and info for this upcoming playoff season. From scores, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. Not into football? No problem. 
BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. They've even got great lines for all of you Winnipeg Jets fans. From player points totals to award winners and more. Want to bet on Hellebuck winning another Vesna trophy? Log into BetOnline.net right now and place your bet. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. To get started, register for a free account with BetOnline.net right now. Start winning today because BetOnline is where the game starts. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, thank you so much for making Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. While this show was really fun, I highly recommend and encourage you to make your second listen Locked On Now. If you want insight into the league from teams outside of the Jets and you're looking for all of the nightly recaps your brain can handle, then Locked On Now needs to be in your podcast subscription list as soon as humanly possible. Every episode is chocked full with great analysis from our local experts, and best of all, it's free to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, so go do that right now. Now, circling back to our maybe off-the-beaten-path rental options, um, there are a lot of guys on this list from ESPN that are, are likely to be on the move, and one of the players that he, he seemingly gets traded a lot, uh, he's bounced around like three or four different teams over the last several years, but this guy, you know, Vladislav Nemesnikov, he's a bit of a hard one for me to figure out, because... He goes uh, every other season, you know, between like scoring 30 to 40 points and then scoring like six. And you never really know which one you're getting with him. Now, points are definitely not the be-all, end-all of uh, player evaluations. In fact, it can often mask either uh, players who might be having a much more pronounced positive impact on the game or maybe uh, hiding some really serious deficiencies uh, in a player's game like, say, Kyle Connor, especially on the defensive side of things. I've always viewed Nemesnikov as more of the latter uh, in that he does have some like bonafide finishing talent. He's got a great release. He seemingly has good spatial awareness inside the offensive zone, and he'll kind of work along the corners and try to get into good spaces. But, you know, his overall game for me, it definitely lacks a number of dimensions, and I kind of feel like the only way that you get Nemesnikov to really pop is if you're surrounding him with like high-end skill. And at that point, it's like, are you really, you know, getting a guy, a guy who's actually this level of player that you're putting him uh, alongside some of your better, maybe middle six to top six forwards? Or is he actually like a fourth liner and that's really the best role for him? And I, I kind of, at least in some ways, I, I sort of lean towards that back end. I think Nemesnikov can be fine on like your third or your fourth line. Probably fourth is the better spot unless you're really asking him to defend heavily. Uh, he does have at least a nice little shot and maybe he could get an option on like a secondary power play unit or something. But again, I, I think his utility for me is a little bit limited and I'm not really sure that you want to be uh, putting him on the power play or anything. If you're, if you're doing that, you're probably getting to the point where it's just not really worth it. So yeah, I could see him being moved for a cheap pick. He's got like 23 points in 49 games this year, which I think is indicative of the fact that again, he does have some genuine scoring instincts, and he's not like a useless player. Uh, you know, he's he's been decent at times throughout his career, especially when he was in Tampa, but usually that that comes around with like a massive supporting cast. So if he's asked to play on a more, I don't know, modest unit, could he really handle it and still put out this level of performance? Hard to say. I know he's kind of doing it right now with Detroit, but 
even the Red Wings aren't nearly as bad as they've been in previous seasons. So if you toss out like a third or a fourth round pick for him, I, I guess you could potentially see if he's got something left in the tank. But again, I'd probably be keeping my expectations relatively modest. Now, another guy that I think is actually worth considering, and, you know, he, he is somebody with a little bit of term, this one is Jonas Donskoy, and I know that this year for him has been pretty rough for Donskoy. Uh, that is basically true of everyone who is in Seattle. There are only a couple of players that have really excelled, Giordano and, of course, McCann being some of them, but Donskoy, you know, he was thought to be maybe one of the savvier pickups by uh, Seattle's uh, roster scouts, but unfortunately, his brand of really effective two-way hockey just hasn't really translated on a team that, frankly, does not have a lot of scoring depth. Donskoy, for me, is somebody who really excels when you give him talent to work with. He's kind of like in that micro league player class where, as a complementary winger or like a facilitator, he's elite. But unless you give him actual skill to work with, he's going to really struggle to flourish and shine. So I think if you get him out of Seattle, you start to put him into maybe a team that's actually got some real depth, you know, like a, a Colorado or another team like that. I think Donskoy will go back to doing what he does best. And, you know, I don't know how much he would actually be. The only problem with the Jonas that I could see definitely cropping up for a lot of teams is that cap hit. It's not cheap. Uh, you know, you're looking at 3.9 next year, which is, again, a pretty hefty chunk of change. Uh, and unless that salary gets eaten, I don't know if anyone would actually really want to take his contract on. It's it's just, it's a little bit rich for his production. He's only got 15 points in 50 games, and, you know, his uh, two-way defensive impacts haven't really been there either. So, tough to kind of, uh, you know, wait that one out. I could see somebody trying to go in on him if it's something like 40 to 50% retained for a season. And if you can do that, I think that would be a fantastic deal and somebody that I would actually give up maybe a higher round pick. Not exactly like a first necessarily, but at least a little bit more than just a cheap rental. I think Donskoy could be a capable middle six uh, option for teams that are uh, maybe looking for a little bit more defensive responsibility and all situations kind of guy, a player who can also be effective on the PK. Yeah, you know, Donskoy could definitely fit in. And for the half uh, price cap hit next season, I think that would actually be worth investigating for most contenders. Now, there are a few more skaters I want to talk about before we wrap this up. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of guys like, you know, Justin Braun, maybe Robert Haig, and Tanner Pearson in just a little bit. Hello, friends, and welcome back to these closing thoughts on tonight's Locked On Jets. We are doing our best of the rest uh, review on some of the available trade deadline fodder. Uh, we've teased a few names so far that we're going to be closing out with. Tanner Pearson is one of them. Pearson has seemingly been... I don't know, either the best acquisition of Jim Benning's career or the worst. I'm being a little bit uh, silly here. It's actually not that serious, but Pearson has always kind of been a guy for me who I think he's like an ideal middle sixer. And when he was acquired by Vancouver, I tend to think Benning thought he was a lot more than that. As much as Pearson can be an effective uh, attacking winger with some decent-ish defensive impacts, or at least it was several years ago, what he is now is probably a little bit more modest, and, you know, with the cap hit that he's sporting, he's not really that cheap. I could see some team taking a, a punt on him if Vancouver were to retain, like, half of his salary, but 
He's not a name that I think is super, super, uh, you know, highly desirable. He's like an all right third line winger, but if you really need to put him into your second line for a pinch, I could see that being an okay option. But there is another guy that I would much rather have, and that is Tomasz Tatar. Tatar, for me, has probably been one of the most underrated wingers out there. For some reason, despite being such a savvy veteran with really good career numbers um, and a, a general level of consistency to his game that I, I think a lot of people maybe don't appreciate enough, Tatar just never seems to get credit for it. His cap hit is a little bit on the higher side for a team that's looking to acquire him since he does have a little bit of term, just one more season, but if you get like 1 to 1.5 million retained, I think he would be a very valuable middle six option for any team. And he's also pretty decent at uh, just being a really versatile player who can move up and down your lineup at will. Tatar is super smart. He's very offensively gifted. He's got great spatial awareness, and I think he could be a really valuable asset for most teams. One of the other players that we haven't talked about because... Uh, his situation is very unusual compared to most of the trade deadline bait here, is Vladimir Tarasenko. Vlad, uh, Vladimir has kind of been on the market, I guess. Um, he didn't really love the Blues medical staff. He's had disagreements with their front office, and so he wanted his way out, but uh, right now he's kind of tearing it up for the team, and I wonder if, you know, maybe bridges can be mended. I don't know if he would actually want to stay with the Blues. Honestly, I think for Tarasenko, maybe the best thing is just a fresh start. It's clear that given his performance this year, he's still got plenty to offer a team. Um, whether it would actually be worth it for the full cap hit remains to be seen just because he probably does have some very you know fragile physicality and that uh, 7.5 million cap hit, it's not cheap. So I'm curious to know if they actually trade him or if maybe he does stick around with the Blues for the duration of his career. Uh, whatever the case may be, if he's actually on the market, I could see tons of teams lining up left and right for him. Not quite as many as would be after Philip Forsberg, but certainly a majority of some of the top contenders who could potentially fit his cap hit under uh, their umbrella. Now, on the defender side of things, you know, Justin Braun has been linked as a guy who's on the market, but Braun is probably like a second or a third pairing defender at this rate. He's, you know, a more physically oriented kind of guy, similar to Brendan Dillon. I don't know if he would be um, a particularly impactful uh, acquisition for a team that's already got a pretty decent defense. If you ask him to play like, you know, 15 to 18 minutes a night on like your second or your third pairing or something, your second pairing is probably pushing more to 18 to 20. But, you know, your third pairing 12 to 15 on the low end. I could see that being an okay option. I don't know how much he would cost. He does have at least a little bit of scoring this year, but, you know, he's 35, he's uh, a free agent after this year, and he's mostly a defensive type. So maybe a team kind of looks at his physicality and overpays, but other than that, I can't really imagine that he would fetch that big of a trade deadline haul. One of the last guys we're going to talk about is Robert Haig, um, and Haig... Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that kind of strikes me as like the Nathan Beaulieu type. Um, I'm not really a fan of his game. I think he lacks that uh, high-end decision-making, spatial IQ, and play-reading ability. If you acquire him, it's mostly as a seventh defender, and probably not much more than that. Uh, the Sabres, I mean, they've been giving him like it's like second pairing ice time apparently, but I don't know that that's really indicative of how good he actually is. I tend to see a lot of mistakes in this game, at least when he was with the Flyers. Um, he was honestly one of their worst defenders, which 
is actually saying something because they've had some pretty bad ones over the years. Haig, you know, if you just keep it kind of simple with his game, again, like a number six or a number 70, I think you'll get a tiny bit of value out of it, but I would not be looking to pay a lot for that. Uh, certainly not with some of the other defenders out there who might be on the market like Brett Kulak. Now, I'm sure there are some names out there that I'm not going to talk about, uh, at least tonight. We'll have maybe some more coverage over the next few weeks. I'm sure there's actually going to be trades as we're getting closer and closer. We're hearing lots of rumors about guys being linked. And, of course, this is uh, really rolling up on that time when teams start pulling out the wares, getting ready to shop, and getting ready for a deeper playoff run. Let me know which players you're keeping an eye on as the trade market heats up at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. For tonight's episode, though, that is going to be all the time that we have. Thanks again for making Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. Be sure to make your second listen Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Hosts Steel Radon and Flip Livingston help you become the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available wherever you get your favorite podcast media, so be sure to like, follow, and subscribe right now. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!